Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show. this song i can do my own little airbase to it can't i that's right this is the fizzle show every friday we publish another conversation about the art and science of supporting yourself doing something you care about in this episode running an indie business is more possible than ever even when you've got a young baby or a new marriage but If you try to simply burn more candles at more ends or pour more cups of coffee to on your day to get through it, you'll find yourself and your family paying a price too high. So we're going to talk about some business advice and wisdom for young family entrepreneurs. It's a really good episode. I think you're going to dig it. In case you aren't familiar with what we do here, we run fizzle.co, a site with 40 plus courses for independent small businesses, growing an email list, web design essentials, choosing a business idea, all of that stuff and much more, as well as the nine-stage roadmap that ties every single course together, guiding you through every stage of business. Membership at Fizzle costs about a dollar a day, but as a listener, you get five weeks for free when you go to fizzle.co slash try five. That's fizzle.co slash try five. Five weeks fizzle for free. Okay, let's get into the show today. Follow along at home at fizzleshow.co slash 160. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps. Okay, guys. So listen, this is a, this is what I, I wanted to talk about today because Steph is just about to like get the, the, the phone call from her body going like, hey, you know that life you've been making inside your body? It's time for it. It's time. We want to get it out now. It's true. Because you're going to become a new mom. And so I thought what we could do is just talk about, like, you know, all of the things that's going through your mind. I remember when I had my own business, when uh, when I got laid off from a job two weeks before Aiden was born. And um, that was that was some bull- right there. But uh, we survived. We survived. We survived. Survived? You survived. Survived. I survived. <laughs> And uh, so, so Steph, like, what's going on in in your in your head right now? Like, what have you what have you been thinking about? I mean, I know it's a lot, but like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh man, we're just getting right into this, huh? Yeah, I think just getting right into it. You guys, I'm so nervous about this topic. I have to tell you. <laughs> well, you you kind of asked for it, Steph. I know. I totally threw myself directly. Into this one. I know. Yeah. I didn't mean to, but I mean, obviously, it's it's a personal topic. It's a real topic for me, but. You know, earlier today as a team, we were talking about different things that we're like actually going through that we could talk about. And I do have to say that I've heard from a lot of people who listen to the show who are like, hey, I'm really excited that you're going to be a mom. And I kind of wish we could hear more about that. So I don't know. Some people out there are interested in it, I guess. So maybe my perspective will be helpful. But uh, to answer your question in terms of, you know, what comes to mind for me first, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm sure I'll probably listen to this episode someday, like after I have this baby and be like, I had no idea what in the world I was talking about. So with that in mind, I'll just say that I think the there's like this feeling that I have that I am myself. I mean, I've, I've known myself as I am for my whole life so far. And now I'm I've had to kind of like unwind or unravel this hope or like false sense that I could just like add a whole other identity on top of what I already am, if that makes sense. Like, you know, I can just like be all the things that I've already been in a full and busy life as Steph Crowder. And now I also have to figure out how I'm going to be a mom on top of that. Mm. And I think, and and I don't know that that's exclusive to moms. I'm sure dads probably feel that way too. Uh, There is like the physical component (laughs) with being a mom, which I think complicates things, especially considering in the first you know, few months, I'm the only person who can feed this child and overnight and things yeah. like that. So that that type of thing kind of complicates it. But I think yeah. the number one thing on my mind is, and I've heard this from a lot of other moms and soon to be moms that I've talked to is kind of just this feeling that my career, my life as I know it is going to come to a screeching halt. I've had a lot mm. of people remind me just the other day, my own mom said to me, you're not going to the moon, you know, and I, and I feel like I act like it, like there's, mm. I can be kind of fatalistic about it where I'm trying to, I almost perceive that my life is going to change so much that it'll, it, it's like life as I know it's going to end. And, mm. um, tempering that has been really difficult and realizing that, you know, it'll, it'll get figured out and, 
one thing that's really helped me is to remind myself that there will be time. Like that's just kind of a mantra that I've been telling myself is that, you know, my career is long. I'm 28 years old. It's not like I'm going to the, this one event is going to change everything forever. It might be a little tricky and scary at first, but there will be a new normal. It will be challenging. It's just something that I can't fully wrap my mind around right now, which of course, as someone who likes to try to anticipate <laughs> the future, it gives me, it gives me some anxiety. Mm, so, uh, yeah, I mean, so this idea of your identity, you know, adding quote, you know, mom, just on top of that, right? Because well, how would you explain, how would you describe, because I think you represent a lot, uh, I think you represent um, something to a lot of women who are like working professional women and want to, you know, develop their career, especially those who are younger and, you know, they're, they're like, they're like, yeah, there's this whole like new, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but in some ways, culturally, it's become a lot more popular was for lack of a better term, this kind of new sense of womanhood that, that has come to these almost millennials. I just see the millennials taking it on. Right. And I see the way my wife has, has had to come into her own as well. And so this idea of of career, of like, as you say, you know, Steph famously early on when we were talking about how she, she would, I think it was soon to like uh, where you announced to us that you were pregnant um, and that it was a girl. And you were like, uh, you were just like, oh yeah, she's gonna be a little bone crusher, you know, <laughs> which is your term that represents what? Like, what's that term mean to you? I, I think it, it, it's someone who is self assured and, um, isn't afraid to speak her mind and is, you know, excited and happy to have all the different opportunities that are available to her and will just go and take them, honestly. And not Okay, so yeah. now compare that, compare that, what you just said right there, to how you would have maybe, like, said what your identity was beforehand, like, or how you've been thinking about your identity. So as you were talking about, like, your identity as, as kind of like a career woman or as a, as a uh, I don't know, successful, what are the words that you would use to, to describe your identity outside of, you know, bone crusher and the things you just said? I think that there's a level of get sh doneness that takes a real hit mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're either pregnant or also, I, I suspect, with young, really young children as well. One thing that's really hit me is, you know, my former speed would be if I had a lot on my plate, I would just work harder. I would make a cup of coffee. I would put my hair in a bun and deal with it, so to speak. And you can't really do that when you're growing a, ch a child. You're supposed to rest. You're not supposed to load up on caffeine. So basically all the things that I relied on to make me mm. successful before kind of stopped working for me as I've been pregnant because I've had to reassess what, you know, it's not just about me anymore. My body's not my own um, really at all at this point. So yeah. it's, it's been about, you know, how can, but it, 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 there's a, a lot of tension there because I care so much about what we're doing at Fizzle. I care about my team. I care about our members. So I have to figure out how to balance, you know, how can I be the type of worker and the type of um, entrepreneur and the type of person that I want to be while also balancing this, this new need to be there for this tiny person who isn't even here yet. So I'm very well aware mm. of the fact that that, I think that's one of the things I hear most from new moms and not even new moms, but just moms of all kinds. And and I think, I think I would be curious to hear from you, Chase, but I think dads too is like, there's just this ever present guilt of it's, it, it's like there's these two balls in the air. And if it's not one that's on the ground, it's the other. And so it's hmm. just this new challenge of, you know, I don't want to feel like a shitty mom. I don't want to feel like a teammate. And um, you don't want to see either of your you know, the, the things that you care in your life a, a lot about, you don't want to see either of those things take a hit. And, and there's always going to like the seesaw feeling of trying to balance mm. it. And it's an unrealistic expectation, I think, ultimately. Mm. Okay, so let, I, lo I love everything that you're saying right now. Let's, um, I want to do a little bit of a lateral move because actually what, it just, what I just thought about was, Corbett, when you and Jessalyn had, you had a dog that was like super gnarly, didn't you? Yeah, he was kind of a dick. <laughs> okay so like and, and when you when you had that dog were you at the startup uh yeah we we got that dog uh i don't know in our early 20s and had him for 13 years 
13 years, and and did you take him with you uh, to Mexico as well, that first big sabbatical? Yeah, in fact, one of the, uh, when we decided to take sabbatical, one of the reasons that we chose Mexico was that we wanted to go for a really extended period of time, and our dog being the dick that he was, it wasn't uh, exactly in the cards for us to have someone look after him for that long, so Mexico yeah. made sense because we could drive down there and take him with us. Just for people who haven't heard Corbett's story, you can go way back to the very beginning. We get into Corbett's story in episode one or two, <laughs> or th- I think three, actually. And um, you are working at a startup, big venture back, doing the thing, had a partner, yada, 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 meeting with the venture capitalists, doing the thing. And then it was like, you know what? It is time for me to get this, this get out of here, right? So you get out of there and you go on a sabbatical, um, as you mentioned. What I'm wondering is, when you guys had that super dickish dog, I'm just going to leave all the dicks in, by the way. I just I apologize <laughs> if that is offensive to anybody. It's just too good of a word. Because then I would have had to beep the first one where Corbett said, and that's just, that's just pure gold. Um, the, when, you, when you were working and had the dog, and you knew you were coming home to some, like, I could beep that one. Okay, I could do that. Uh, the, what, was that, was it, like, what was life like? I hope you're not right now equating dog ownership to being a parent because they're two completely different things. Yeah, no, but but I mean, what we're really getting at is this idea of of like beyond just the fact that it's either a child or a dog or a whatever. It's more it's responsibility. It's things that drag on you and wear on you. It's things that dig into your like, oh, I wish I was sleeping now, but I got to get up and take the dog for a walk, or I got to get up and feed the baby. Oh, I w-. it's just like every you know when you're running a business, when you're trying to create something from nothing, when you're trying to do the thing. It's like every little counts man every little thing counts what i'm asking is from your perspective was did that have did that like actually cause any divots in your in your work time at all no not at all i mean i think that uh the only the only pain that you might feel with a dog is you know taking it out three times a day uh and i just look at that as a positive it's usually like the perfect interval for me to have to get out of the house anyway well, I'm really romantic about about you taking Frida out for walks nowadays. Now you have a dog that is not a D-I-C-K. She's the opposite. In fact, we for the, long, for the longest time, we were sure that we were just horrible dog owners, and we raised this hell dog. And uh, <laughs> and then and then we we got a new dog a few years later, and she turned out to be an angel. So it wasn't us after all. Yeah, which is not unlike the feeling that most parents have when their kids inevitably start doing just horrible things. And you're just like, oh my god, I've I've created a monster, <laughs> like that. Steph, look forward for that. Mm-hmm. Like that whole the the um, completely irresponsible anxiety that comes from just these crappy fantasies that these daydreams that you have about the fact that your son's going to be a killer, a, a serial killer, or something like that, or that your daughter's going to be like literally everything that you hate about the worst kind of woman or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, good luck when that happens, because that, it happens I- I- invariably. So, okay, so coming back to, to Steph, your story, and, and I'll share, I guess I'll share a little bit of mine. What I, what I'm, where I'm going with this is just this idea of, like, of uh, you know, basically for young families, the idea of doing a business as a young family. For my wife and I, we were both entrepreneurs when we had our son. Um, I think when she, when Aiden was first born, this is a seven years ago. He, uh, I think Melissa might have been. She was. She was at a company, but she was a real estate agent. So she hadn't started her own agency yet. She was a broker, which you're kind of like running your own thing, and you're kind of like, well, at least you've got an office space that they're paying for, you know. So it's a kind of a weird mix there. But she was, uh, I remember just like, you know, she used to be real proud that she would be back at work like right away. And she was taking people through houses like two and a half or three weeks, I think, after Aiden was born, just like with him, like in the little baby carrier kind of like. And this is a nice little mid-century modern that we have here in Southeast Portland, (laughs) you know. And now she looks back on that and cringes because it represents a lot of the stuff that she doesn't like. And she, she realizes how far she went because she was raised on a farm in Canada, she wanted to go reverse of the direction that her family seemed to be going in some ways, 
where they were like, I, I just want to be a wife. That's what I want to be. Like, she was the oldest of 10 kids, and most of them are daughters. And uh, and they're just like, I can't wait to get married. It's going to be great. Like, I'm just waiting around until then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Half of them are thinking that way. More than half. All of them. Um, so, so she wanted to be this, like, bastion of, like, no, you are a woman. You are powerful. You can have a career. You can do the thing. Watch, watch. I'll show you. And so I think she was really running on that energy for a long time. And now she looks back now, you know, she's doing a lot of writing now. She's stepping away from real estate soon and, um, and doing a lot of writing on this sort of like, how do I reclaim my womanhood and my femininity? Because she was always like more of the, of the strong woman, the one who like never did anything graceful or beautiful because she would rather like play kickball and like hang with the boys or whatever and be able to fit in that way. That was how she kind. That was a lot of her identity, and now she's kind of reclaiming some of that. And that, that's been a really interesting progression to have happen. You know, seven years in, into parenting, or I guess six years into parenting. So, and for me personally, I was laid off from an age a, a design agency two weeks before uh, Aiden came, and I got a <laughs> I got a week of uh, of Obamacare. Um, or whatever the uh, the cool. unemployment. Okay, <laughs> Obamacare didn't exist. I got a week of unemployment, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be great." And then I started getting clients, and we and we are already making more money than we could, and still get an uh, unemployment. And and Melissa really wanted us. She's like, "I don't want this on our. I don't want this. I don't want unemployment. Let's not do that." I didn't even know unemployment was a thing. I was like, "What do you mean? You can't get a job, and they just start giving you like money? I mean, it's barely any money, but..." It's free money. <laughs> like just because I was born here, I'm sure there's more to it than that, folks. <laughs> but that's how Daddy saw it. So, anyways, I started making websites on my own um, for a little while, and um, and eventually got a got a job at, at a different startup, like six seven months later, I guess. Um, but I remember here's here's some of the most painful moments in my life were were um, you know you have this kid as a man. I was like. Okay, you know, try, I was going going back and forth between like, yeah, I'm gonna, this is what a man does, provides for his family, yeah, hey. But I, I only had like, I had like four seconds of that in a day. The rest of my day was still spent like going like, who am I? What am I here for? Oh my God, I thought it was a snowflake, but this doesn't feel like a snowflake. I'm not special. Oh no, I want to be able to create. Oh, maybe I should do something really fun. I can't. Everything's going, everything's crazy. I'm on fire. You know, it was this weird mix of, of like, of my, my hair and my arse were on fire, but, uh, and I didn't, and I didn't know how to make sense or put literally one foot in front of the other. But I got, I got, I did, I don't know, somehow I like stalked enough people on LinkedIn and made literally cold calls to get website clients. And it was like, I had no client roster. I had no idea what I was doing. I was literally making things up on the phone to people like, yeah, we could do that. We could, I could for, for sure do that. I was like, I just need to make the sale. You know, I just need to make the sale. And then we'll do everything we need to, to make it all happen. But I just got to make the sale. And so, um, uh, to me that, that, because I was young, I was 26 when we had Aiden, I still very much did not know who I was or what I was here for. I did not know how to say this is what I'm good at or this is what I'm bad at. But more than anything, it was like I just had a real churned up sense. There was a lot of silt in the water. I did my sense of identity was in my work, mm -hmm. but my work was placeless. You know what I mean? So um, it was this idea of like, I am the quality of my work or the success of my work, but I got none of that going on. So it just threw me into this, into this uh, sort of tailspin, which is good. I look back on it now and I go like, of course, of course, like this is where it like literally this is where you this is where you end up. This is what a 25-year-old man should be, 26-year-old dude should be. It's like your your work is your worth. And then it's been like a 10-year journey or I guess whatever, eight-year journey of going like, of basically unraveling that. Um, so for me in those early days, I have to tell you, I have to be, I have to be up front with everybody. I was literally a head. Like I was, you would, you did not want to be married to Chase Reeves in the first year and a half of being a dad. 
um, for a lot of reasons. But basically, because that whole career piece was just like, dude, I don't, I don't know what to do. So, Steph, I think your situation is very different in that you are at a company that you feel at home in, just with the team in and of itself. Second of all, it's a mission that you believe matters. I, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but you said as much just a little while ago. And, and it serves a people group that like you you care about, you kind of feel for, right? So I didn't have any of that stuff um, at all. So I felt very placeless. And it was all stuff that I was hungry for, yeah. right? I had no mentor. I had no support. We were up in Portland. We didn't. We were the first of all of our friends to have kids. And we had no family for like about whatever, a thousand miles or something like that. So yeah. it was just kind of gnarly. I think, uh, you know, it's interesting because all the things you just you didn't put words in my mouth. I completely agree. And I did say that earlier. I feel all of those things about my home at Fizzle. But the super interesting thing is I just don't know, even though our origin stories in this are so different, I just don't know. It's like I I wound up with kind of similar feelings because I think all of us invent these issues in our own minds. Like, for example, when I became pregnant and knew I had to tell you guys, I can't describe how nervous I was to tell you, which is ridiculous because... Chase is a dad Ooh. and Corbett has, you know, chosen this lifestyle for himself that involves going to Mexico three months a year because that's how he wants to live his life. I know B- New Barrett would support me. And somehow I could not uh, uh, like calm myself down because you I think you are, there's always this unknown of what you think other people are going to think of the reflection, mm. how it reflects on your work. You know, you can only say so many things to reassure other people that you're still in this thing and that you um, that you really care and that you're going to mm. be there. And it's like, yeah. you know, as much as, and it, of course it's like a hundred percent self-inflicted. I, I tell people all the time, I work with three of the best guys. I'm so lucky, but at the same time, it's just in your own head. You're always, you, you pass that judgment on yourself. And I think it's really challenging. I mean, there's just so much, I don't know, there's so much wrapped up into that. And for me, um, the, the thing that like, if you go all the way back in time to when, I was working at Groupon and I was climbing the ladder and I've talked about all of this before, but one of the things that, you know, I, I started thinking about all of these things and this is was really like the jumping off point for me even being interested in entrepreneurship. And this is where I think like, I feel like so far we've talked about some of the, you know, scariest parts of becoming a parent, but on the flip side of that, entrepreneurship is so cool and such an amazing opportunity for parents, I think, for women, but also there's plenty of stay-at-home dads out there too, or, you know, dads that want to be more present. I know a lot of people follow Pat Flynn and his whole story with smart passive income. And he talks all the time about how his why is being able to walk his kids to school or drive his kids to school every day and be one of the only dads who gets to do that. So for me, one of the things that just changed it all, there's this article that I really love. I remember reading it shortly before I joined the Fizzle team. And it's it's it remains one of my favorite articles. I'll make sure that this ends up in the show notes, but it's called Female Company President says, I'm sorry to all the women I worked with. And a whole separate topic is about how oftentimes women tend to be the worst towards other women, like more than men are. So we won't even get into that. But there was this one quote that kind of summarizes the way that I felt about it, which was this. I was now a woman with two choices, go back to work like before and never see my baby or pull back on my hours and give up the career I'd built over the last 10 years. When I looked at my little girl, I knew I didn't want her to feel trapped like me. And I'm having a little girl as well. And I I can so resonate with this. And this is why I like to think of entrepreneurship as the great equalizer for women, because, you know, women are always going to be making this choice in a world where 10 hour workdays exist, where you have to go into an Mm. office. And it's just such an amazing and inspiring thing to me that I see so many women in the Fizzle community and other groups that I'm a part of who are doing work that they care about, setting amazing examples for their children, providing for their families and getting to be the kind of parent that they want to be. So from that perspective, mm. I think entrepreneurship is just, it's such an amazing world we live in, the, the opportunities that we have that our parents didn't have, frankly. Yeah, I feel like that sometimes nowadays, you know, because I, I take, I, I think I, I take for granted, or I have for a long time, all of the kind of like, you know, lifestyle things that this business affords us. You know, Corbin and I have been living like this for, for like almost four years now. And him, him for longer when he was doing Think Traffic, and, um, but Corbin, would you say that there's much of a difference between what your life's like now that you've kind of like, we've built this team and it's sort of like a very small company compared to when you were at Think Traffic where you're just kind of on your own with, with Caleb's support? Yeah, totally different. It's the, having a team 
wasn't necessarily something I planned for. For a long time, I guess I thought that I would be one of those lone wolves that you think about when you think about, you know, the, the stereotypical sort of entrepreneur type. There were people that I followed who were very much a one person show. And I thought that I would be that Mm. because, you know, you can, uh, change your mind on a whim. You can, uh, start projects without consulting anybody. And there's a lot of, uh, freedom and flexibility there. And so I thought I might go that direction, but then eventually I wanted to take a vacation, which is something I hadn't done in a very long time. Um, and there were projects that I wanted to do that I couldn't do myself. And so I decided to bring somebody on and then um, I, I got you know other people to help on project basis. And then eventually you and I started working together, Chase. And now with a team of five currently, um, there are a lot of benefits to having a team that for me right now, I think especially because of the way that we're building the team, those those benefits outweigh the fr- the flexibility and other things that I might have had originally as as a lone wolf. Um, just specifically, sure. you know, in in some ways, I feel more responsibility uh, for getting projects done and things because there are other people that are counting on me, which can be a good thing yeah. because when you're when you're one person, a lot of times you can slack off a little bit more than maybe you should because you're the only person who's going to pay the price. So. That's good, I think. Uh, and the other things that are really positive are just having other people to count on so that there aren't as many crises and, and, or crises and fires and things that you have to put out that, um, that you would be solely responsible for because there are other people who are on the ball and who own certain aspects of the business. Now, switching a little bit of gears here, Barrett's about to get married, like in a few days, basically. I think you might already be married by the time this episode airs. Uh, it's going to be like, yeah, tomorrow I will be getting married. Tomorrow Barrett's getting married. Mm-hmm. So Woo-hoo. what's going through your head as you think about your, your, I don't know, working here at Fizzle, building what you're doing, you're in the middle of, of projects, but you're about to get married, you're about to take a honeymoon and like do this thing. Like what's going through your mind? Uh, a lot of, a lot of feelings, um, I think it's brought a lot of clarity on all the other stuff I do outside of work as far as giving my time to other organizations and, and donating a lot of my time and talents and money to other causes. I think I've gotten a lot more clarity on just needing to dial that back some and committing mm. more to the core things where I can have the biggest impact. And that's oftentimes your relationships at home and then your, yeah. your core work during the day. Um, so that's been interesting to go through that and just see the challenge of uh, the challenge of having too many commitments, mm. not just at work, but outside of work. And, and almost that being revealed to me more because I know that there's the biggest commitment um, to another relationship, another human that I'm going to make. So that's been good. Uh, I think it's going to give me a lot more space after we get back from, from being married because I've already put some things into motion to offload some of those responsibilities. And then at work, I mean, Planning a wedding is just its own thing, you know. It's it's, it's, <laughs> it's not, so crazy how big of a deal that is, you know. It's like all consuming. It's insane. Yeah, and it's not like having a child. Um, it's not quite so physical in that way, but it's physical for me in the ways of being stressed and feeling yeah. like there are obligations that I have to meet. You know, there are deadlines that other people have. I have to meet for them. You know, yeah. whether it's a caterer or a DJ or whatever which all sounds so silly, but it manifests itself in real stress and anxiety over just dumb little things that, and I say dumb, meaning that like at the end of the day, the point is not that, Mm -hmm. you know, they will be nice aspects of the day and we'll enjoy those things, whether it's music or food. And and those are all things that I enjoy, but it's not the point. You know, the point is the relationship. The point is the commitment that we're making and and having those things on the back of my mind always over the past three, six, nine months has definitely slowed me down. I mean, I, I don't get as much, certainly now, uh, don't get as much work done as I otherwise, yeah. otherwise would. And I found myself wanting to just power through that, you know, taking the Steph approach. I think we have very similar approaches sometimes where it's like pour an extra cup of coffee, just get through this little time period and get on the other side of it and then everything will be okay. And I, you know, I had this realization the other day. It's like, that's not good. You know, that's not going to help anyone by yeah. just burning yourself out on the way to getting married. Yeah. Uh, and then having, you know, 
a little breakdown wherever it happens, whether mm-hmm. it's hopefully it's on the other side of the wedding and not <laughs> on this side of it. <laughs> and so I slowed down a little bit and just said, you know, there's only so much you can do at a given time. And that's yeah. really frustrating for me. I hate having to, I hate it. I hate the weakness of that or, mm. or like the perception of weakness that I have related to mm. that. Um, and so it's been difficult to deal with, you know, yeah. just giving myself the grace to be like, Hey man, you got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. You just need to do what you can for right now. And you can come back guns blazing if you want to, but for right now, just take care of yourself and get ready to go do the important thing that's top of the list right now. You know, what I hear that's common, uh, oh, go for it, Steph. I was just going to add, there's like, I, I see a similar tie in what I'm talking about and what Barrett's talking about right now. And I just, if, if any of this is resonating with anybody, I have to share an episode of a podcast that I think can be really helpful. It's from Jess Lively's show. Everybody who listens knows I love Jess Lively's podcast. I love the conversations that she has. And there was one that was so honest about this and it was called 10 Truths About Finding Peace in Being Average in This Season of Our Career. And even that title is like, you hear that? And you're Ugh, like, what? Yeah, that, being- that's just like so like, yeah, it gets you. Yeah, like why would I intentionally choose to be average? And if you listen to the episode, it is about motherhood, but it can apply to what Barrett's talking about as well, which is um, Jessica Flanagan, who is, uh, she writes a blog called Live the Fancy Life, talks about these, I think 10, 10, or the 10 truths. She lists them and talks about them one by one. And for her, she's chosen to have like, a pretty respectable blog. She doesn't have the biggest blog. She doesn't have the best blog in the whole wide world. And that has been an intentional choice for her because she has decided that she has, she has two small boys and she wants to be a certain type of parent to them. So that is a decision that she has made. And she's come up with these kind of 10 truths that are kind of like mantras that help her kind of stay rooted in the fact that this is an intentional choice. It doesn't mean she's not you know, her blog is an average, her career is an average because she sucks. It's because she has chosen that right now, this particular season season in her life, being this type of parent is the most important thing. And that comes, it's that trade-off that we talked about. And she even says one of the 10 truths mm-hmm. is, I can't have it all and that's okay. So it's interesting to think about this being an intentional choice instead of something that happens to you and making you not enough. So I'll make we'll make sure that's in the show notes too. But to me, that was just a, fantastic podcast episode to listen to if this is something that you're wrestling with, of trying to figure out how to do everything yeah. at once, whether it's getting married, making a big life decision, having kids, whatever it looks like, um, you can really find some solace in making an inten- intentional choice about this. Corbett, you uh, you have a lot of experience with this idea of like you can't have everything. And you live your life in such a brave way, I think, about choosing and being very intentional on like, these are the things that we want, which means we have to say no to a lot of other stuff. And my wife and I work together and we, this is what we've chosen. As you hear like, you know, uh, these youngins, Steph and Barrett going through these moments in their life where they're like kind of coming, realizing uh, that, that, you know, because I mean, I think when, when, I, when you're 25, you can, you can literally have everything you want. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Totally. You're like, and if I can't get it this weekend, I'm going to get it next weekend. It's going to be fine, you know? <laughs> so, but, so as you hear that, hear that like sort of sentiment, and as you, I'm sure, remember feeling that way yourself probably, can you relate any, like, any advice to, to anyone like in that boat, like as they're starting to really just starting to kind of process this idea of like, oh my God, I don't think I can, can have everything. Well, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about like being young and having like big life events, like having a kid or getting married or whatever, is just looking back on it. Not that I'm that old, but I have a little bit of perspective now. And just looking back on it and realizing how intense everything felt at the time and how urgent everything felt as if, oh my God, yeah. I have to get this done, you know, before this happens or, or, or else, um, and, and then realizing that, you know, a decade or, or now my wife and I have been married almost 15 years this summer and, um, just looking back on it and realizing that whatever career I thought I had back then certainly could have been put on hold for a month or three months or whatever. And it wouldn't have impacted anything. In fact, I think if, you know, instead of, um, trying to rush everything around getting married or rush everything around having a kid or whatever, if instead of rushing things, you take some time and just live in that thing, whatever that is, you'll come out, you'll be better for it because you'll, you'll get this perspective and you'll connect with the things that really matter in your life and realize that there is a lot more to life than work. And I'm not one of the people that 
that believes in work-life balance necessarily. Um, and I also don't necessarily put um, my life ahead of my work because my work is a big part of my life and it matters a lot and I spend a lot of time doing it. So I'm not saying that career mm. doesn't matter, but other things in, in life matter just as much. And you might as well take the time to savor those things and just enjoy them for what they are because those those moments of getting married and having a kid and whatever, they're over in a flash. And you know, I think when you look back 10 or 15 years later, you're not going to feel bad about the extra week that you missed away from work, but you will feel bad about not having savored that moment and captured it enough. You know what, my friends, uh, close, close friends of mine just had a baby last night. Um, and we were there at the hospital, you know, just like a couple hours later, delivering a, a large, what was requested of us, a large box of Cinnabons. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so we brought, we brought those over. But, um, but when I, uh, like, you know, before we were there, like it was maybe a few hours before I was texting with the new dad and all I, all I said to him was, was just like, just like try as hard as you can to take your foot off the gas of any gas. You're going to want to like make sure that like grandma can get into the hospital and mom and dad are here and doing the thing. Like you want to do all the, you know, but the only, like if I could get you to do anything, it would be that you would just like realize that you're never going to be in that hospital room again under these circumstances. And that that scene is the scene like where this, where this part in the story happened. So like just even thinking about it from a scene perspective of like where is this happening that can help you just just like take it all in your wife reclined on the thing how much of a hassle it is to get to the bathroom after you've delivered a baby uh you know like like wanting water or wanting like banh mi sandwiches and like finding one of your one of your friends to text to go like hey can you get us some banh mi <laughs> you know what i mean or whatever it's like somehow to just piggybacking what corbis said that kind of this this weird sort of cherishing of the of those space time moments where it's like kind of slowed down. And you know what actually taught me a lot about that, I think, was when we lost Rowan, our second son in labor. That whole experience to me was was just absolutely like fundamentally just shook the foundations of my life and, and like it's kind of like you can imagine like a like an old school like gold miner with their pan sort of like sifting through the dirt. Like it just did that to my whole life. And so all of the the only thing that was left were these big rocks, you know, that and all of the dirt kind of went away for a month or two. And it, life was just completely and utterly like just clear. So much clarity. It was black and white. Like I I I saw what mattered and what didn't very clearly. And that that has stuck with me for forever. It's one of the like like I've I've said this before. I can't remember where. I oh I was at a at a conference in L.A. and I was talking about like how weirdly that is one of the things I and possibly I'm I'm the most grateful for in my life. Uh, you know, as horrible as wretched as it, it, it taught me more than anything else ever has in my life, and it made me more of of a of a of a feeling empathetic uh, person, human, let alone man you know, than anything else in my life. And it's that, that those kind of cherishing of those moments, I guess partly because I see so much what's at stake. And I, I'm young, I'm 33, I think, to be living the life of a 70-year-old Italian man. I do have the jumpsuits that I occasionally put on, the velour jumpsuits with, like, no shirt underneath and just gold chains, you know? And I go on my walks. Hey, I'm walking here! You know what I mean? Hey, Johnny! Good to see you. The house looks nice. It looks nice. Hey, is this a new begonia? <laughs> That's me walking down Division Street in Portland. <laughs> but but I but I have like like I was saying earlier, kind of taking this lifestyle for granted of like you know I walk my son to the bus stop every day, even though it's like two houses away. Like my Melissa, my wife. There's like one street in between, and Melissa's like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna keep walking him. I'm like. <laughs> Dude, the kid can walk to the bus stop by himself. He's like, she's like, no, we're gonna do it. And then he actually really likes it, so we take him to the bus stop every day. Um, but then I like, I like, wake up every morning now, and I go on this long ass walk. I get all my ten thousand steps in before you know nine o'clock. And then I go and I'm listening to podcasts. And I'm just kind of cruising around. I'm the guy who's walking down the street with like the the earbuds in, and I'm like touching a tree. Like you're driving by, and like, well, what was that guy doing to that tree? <laughs> like I'm petting a tree. <laughs> 
<laughs> do you know what I mean? Not even on drugs yet. It's only 9 a.m. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't do drugs till later. So <laughs> I'm petting a tree because I'm just like, I'm fascinated with the world right now. Like I'm looking around just going like, unbelievable. I'm, I'm literally enamored that this tree just does what it does and doesn't have to, you know, wonder if it's doing it right or wrong. You know what I mean? It doesn't sit there and like, and like go like, I don't know. I don't know what kind of tree I want to be. I kind of want to go high. But, but, but I don't want to go too high. You know, do you know what I mean? Like all of that crap that's been like this intense, loud internal dialogue in my head for so long. I walk around and I enjoy I enjoy stuff. There was a a tweet from uh, um, from what was it from uh, uh, Alan Watts uh, today that came through. Let me hold on, wait for it, wait for it. Actually, I'm not gonna be able to find it because this is this is. Uh, oh, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. So I've, one of my favorite Twitter accounts that I follow is, is Alan Watts Daily, which is, which is just a uh, quote from this guy, Alan Watts, who had a very complicated life, but said a lot of amazing things. And one tweet was this. The immediate now, whatever its nature, is the goal and fulfillment of all living. Flowing from this insight is an emotional ecstasy, a sense of intense relief and lightness and almost unbearable love for the world. And I just have to say that I really resonated with that. As weird and highfalutin as that sounded, that ju- I just really resonated with it because when you stop, like Steph, when you were, you, you nailed it. What I was going to say a, a while ago, and you and and you jumped in, you're like, I see the similarities between what Barrett was saying and what I'm saying. It's a kind of like thinking about the future and thinking about your role and thinking about you know, like as you said before, like your identity now. Am I just going to like to add mom on top of this thing, you know, and and all of that is is like a a if you think about it you know in whatever a zen buddhist term all of that is 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 the thinking about the future thinking about some future plan all of that is some sort of making plans about how you're going to be because if i'm not a particular kind of way it's not okay and that i think is what i've been learning you know and kind of you know untying those knots cuz i was the same exact way as both you guys barrett and steph just like you know gold star by the name I want to be the best of the best. I also had this real like kind of classic thing going on where it was like, screw you. I'm going to do it my way. But I did it my way. Like, like I did. I was like, dad wanted me to do this. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this over here. But I still had dad, like the general voice in my head. You know what I mean? Just going like, hey, Tiger, you really got to do a better job of this. I'm so sorry. I know. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? A lot of that shame, a lot of that need to be validated, a lot of that, you know, it's funny if you look at our culture if you look at millennial talk if you look at um you know the sort of americana uh, fetishism of like of uh, that i see around everywhere in portland it's basically the instagram filter ability of young people's lives and how they're trying to like live them what you see is a lot of talk that's like i just want to make things i just want to i just want to be true to myself i want to make cool things with my friends that i'm proud of like one model that i really love you know what i mean but it's this idea of like, I find myself saying, I just want to like be a creator. I just want to make and create and do things authentically and stuff like that. But what's built into that, what you can hear underneath everyone who says that is, I just really want to be, I really want to be validated. I really want to feel loved because I don't think, even though I know my mom and dad love me, I totally do, but I just don't think I ever felt it. <laughs> so I got to do stuff to make it feel like I'm worth that. Right. Which is something that I just see as a as a as a thread running through my life and a lot of others. And so, Steph, when you in the very beginning bring up this identity stuff. Right. If, and to Corbett's point and what we've been saying all along is if there's if I could do anything, this is something I learned from my friend Bob Goff. It's like if I could do anything, I, it would be just to make my friends less stressed, less anxious about like I have to I have to really show up for my daughter, man. It's really got to be special about this. And then and my team, and I got to show up for my team and, and do the work. And I, and I don't want my, my work to suffer. I don't want this, that, and the other. And I think in that Alan Watts quote about like, you know, the immediate now, like this is the point, like, where are you right now? Well, I'm gassy. And honestly, I had a burp that is sort of concerning to me. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I, like, and I'm just here. There's like a fascination in, in all of that, that, that it feels almost like a, an indulgence you shouldn't be allowed to have to let go of the fear of the future and the anxiety about, or whatever, of, of the plans for the future and, and being someone significant and to do what that article that you mentioned, Steph, was, just be average. And even, and even like, beyond... Because 
the thing that I read in that, and the, I don't, I mean, you obviously this is, this stuff gets me really fired up because it's, it's like everything that I live. Like I am a dad who's been married for 10 years and I've had, a, my, my son is seven and we lost a child and, and I've had several pregnancies that, that didn't make it, right? And we've gone through a lot and done all the things, but I'm also like a very vibrant creative, someone who ends up, uh, is good at communicating even as he ends up with his foot in his mouth oftentimes as well. So I've got a lot going for me, and I can admit that, right? And I'm like, some people are like, oh, who's this arrogant <laughs> And I'm just like, no, it's just Chase. It's just, you just hang out long enough, and you'll realize, oh, that's not arrogance. It's honesty, because he's really embarrassed when he messes up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And he sees it all the time. But, but I, I, I just see how long I have tried to balance this. You know, uh, my marriage is one place where this where this comes out probably more than anywhere. Being a dad is is not that difficult. Um, it, there's a lot on the line for me there, but at the same time, it's very it's very almost intuitive for me. Um, staying married is is a lot of work. That's a lot of effort for me. And my wife and I right now, I mean, one of the be- best things we've ever done for ourselves for almost like, I guess, a year now, we've been going to a therapist every week and we do just like couples. And luckily we found the fucking wizard. <laughs> we found Carla Canfield, the wizard of relationships. And she's amazing. Her, the, the, if anybody out there is looking for therapists, you should look for, I, I, my highly recommendation for, it's like an EFT, I think is the model that she use, emotional focus therapy or something like that. It's a pretty cool model. But the 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 point being that like emotional that, freedom technique, <laughs> emotional freedom technique. That's right. Now that's a sexual maneuver, which I'm pleasant. I'd, I'd be pleased to talk about right now. But <laughs> but man, it's uh it's taken it's taken a lot to balance because like we you know what we're what we're we're the first issue we came in on this is like being a new family. Um, you know, having bringing you know being I don't know just being a new family and trying to balance that with with. Um, a career that you care about but what it can't help but like leak over into all things life right because your family is is sort of like this little like same to what to what corbett said it's like my work is a big part of my life it's an important part of my life and in some ways for me i think i you probably feel the same corbett it's like really hard to separate between work and life sometimes you know what i mean it's getting a little bit clearer now that we have this this company and these people with roles and 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 you know quarterly meetings and quarterly reviews and and things that we like got to have shipped on time and this that and the other and i know they're like oh if that's all we're getting done this week then then i i can actually take this time right now and take them at least out to, to lunch or something um but i don't know all of that to say that like keeping this balance is 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 uh it's a it is a full-time job, for, but I hate putting it that way, right? I think that's a, that's a gross way of putting it. I think it is, um, in some ways, the, the point, like what, what, this is, it was an interesting question that I, I think, uh, I think I heard someone say something like it, and then I rephrase it this way, and I just, I found myself stunted by it. I couldn't answer it. It's like, what's your favorite thing about life right now? Like, just what's your favorite thing about life right now? And I just think that's such a hard question to answer. Do you know what I mean? Or what are some of your favorite things about life right now? Like, what on earth, when do you ever give yourself time to just enjoy yourself? Like, when? When is that okay? When you're not, like, bettering yourself. When you're not, like, making something that's going to be viral. When you're not, like, producing things, creating things. When is it okay to just actually enjoy stuff? Of course, we all indulge with Netflix and Facebook, but none of us would say that's one of our favorite things to do. That's one of our favorite things about being alive. Do you know what I mean? Um, actually, I, I mean, I do like watching Netflix. <laughs> I love me some documentaries. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting close to, I'm looking at my little waveforms and logic here and realizes I've been talking for a long time, <laughs> but I just don't want to stop either. <laughs> I don't know. So, so Steph, you mentioned being like, being like, uh, you know, really nervous to tell us that, like, that you were that you were pregnant, you know. And I remember you were here in town, and and I think I think we pretty much all knew it mm. um, because just be, not not because you were like you were an open book so much, but just because well, frankly, because you weren't drinking, and we know how much you like wine. I do like um, a cocktail. You- yeah, that was pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and that's always a, a surefire giveaway to the point where my wife is just like not drinking at all right now. She actually doesn't. She's actually like, I think this is the best thing I ever did. She hasn't. She doesn't drink at all right now. She hasn't uh, in a while. And um, she's like, I'm loving this. 
And uh, and I'm like, I really wish we could have some sloppy sex every now and again. But uh, hey, oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Oh, she does that. Okay. <laughs> My bad. Uh, so, but when you were when you were like nervous about it, like what? I don't know. I kind of want to zoom in on that scene, and just like like what get what got you over it, and are you glad that you said something? <laughs> Uh, I guess that, yeah, I mean, I had to say something eventually, right? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. I think um, some of the things that you were saying, Chase, that tweet that you read, I really like a lot. And I have a, something similar also from that same podcast episode I mentioned about the 10 truths of being average. One of them I love, and it's a similar iteration, is giving yourself fully is success. So this idea that, just being fully where you are right now is okay. I mean, I think I had to get over this idea that every everywhere that I've been is the standard and like, you know, now I've just done this. I, I kind of feel like I, at the time, I felt like I went and did this thing that just totally messed up my career and my life a little. I mean, I was excited. This was, this pregnancy mm. was wanted. My husband and John and I, we wanted to have a baby, but you can't help but feel like, what the hell did we just do? You know, so that was, yeah. I think, where the fear came from. Um, along with what I mentioned of, you know, not really necessarily, it's a bit of a leap of faith. You know, you have to um, reassure the people around you, or, or I guess you're afraid that they're not going to believe that you're in it the way that you want to be perceived. So all those like fears were yeah. swirling around for me. And I think what got me over it was just, I don't know, trusting that um, that this is the way that my life is unfolding. I like the way that Corbett put it where, you know, in the scheme of things, one month, two months, three months, whatever that that looks like, whatever time it takes to accommodate a big change like this is not going to be the end of the world um, when you look at the scope of your entire career. So I think um, understand, I had to come to the realization that in order to make room for this new, amazing, wonderful, exciting thing in my life, I, I had to make room for it, you know, and that means that you can't just load it on top. You can't just pile it on. You have to Mm. be able to be at peace with the fact that your life is going to shift a little bit. And for me, that's meant a lot of things. You know, I'm in a bunch of groups with women who inspire me, whether it's Facebook or mastermind groups. And I got to say, I have taken a conscious step back from this challenge and that challenge and the hustle, this, you know, all this different stuff that I see my friends and peers doing because it just doesn't fit for me right now. This is not a season of hustling for me. This is, I mean, it kind of is. I worked really, really hard the first half of this year to, uh, on my fizzle projects. But this to me is more about like being gentle with myself. We've talked about that on the show and I have to, as somebody who, um, tends to want to plan and try to be, you know, work really hard to get where, I need to go. Um, I have to be okay with the fact that this is going to be kind of chaotic. And especially like going into something like labor, of course, you have a lot of conversations with, um, you know, midwives and things like that. And people tell you that the last thing you can control is like how your labor is going to go as, as just one example. Yeah. So you just have to kind totally. of let go and realize you're not in control and that's okay. And giving yourself fully to where you are right now is um, that is success. You define what success is. We talked about that in episode, I think, 140 of this show. And yep. and um, mm-hmm. it, it all ties back to that, I think. So that's kind of how I got past it. But it is a little scary. And I think it's okay to be, your life's changing. It's okay to be freaked out by that, I think. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that, that, that we've said today is this idea of you can't have everything. And the way that you play that course is the is the game. Like, that's the real thing. And, you know, like I've said on last episode and... And other a lot of other places about this idea of course management, um, and I think because it's so like like there's a lot of games like you know all those resources games like Settlers of Catan and like everything like that. It's all about like okay, you only get one move to make right now. What's a good strategic move you can make given the fact that you're about to run out of this and that, and that you know you got X, Y, and Z, and this, that, and the other, and so you 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 can't like you can't do everything. You know what I mean? And you can't be like just this one thing. And and so you have to like realize that every, what did I used to say? I used to, you can only, you can only do what you can do. You know, I used to say this in, I think in the, in the web design course, it's like, listen, you can only say what you can say. We'd all love to convince the world and say everything that we can about like, if you buy my product, then you will be three inches higher your body will be absolutely svelte like a Norwegian god. Do you know what I mean? And you're you're gonna you're gonna be happier and 
you're only going to have great people as friends and they're going to learn to be your favorite people in the whole world. Right? Like you could, you, you like, I can't promise that from my product though. Right? I could say that. I could put up a sales page like in 25 minutes. Try me. And, and it would do that. And you'd be like, I'd like to have this product, but I can't make that product. You know, so you can only say what you can say as you market your stuff. You can only do what you can do as you live your life. And I think the more intentional that you get about that, the more you realize, like, like for instance, to me, it's like I always picture aliens like hovering in an invisible spacecraft over the Earth, just kind of like watching and zooming in and just going like, look at these guys. They eat. What are they doing? They're sitting there. They do this three times a day, sometimes more. Like, the, you know, this idea of like taking time and eating and taking stuff in. Oh, look at them now. Completely helpless. They do this for eight hours, at like a night, some of them. Do you know what I mean? Just sleeping. I'm like, what do they call it? Sleep. It's completely unproductive. Why do they do this? This idea of rest, of refueling, is just built into our species. It's in our genes. It's in who we are. And we run from it because, like, the commercials all tell us to or something. You know what I mean? And I think there's, I just, I just find it to be really liberating for me to try to reclaim some of uh, and like what we say here is, you know, you be, be more, try to be more gentle with yourself, um, which is a kind of way of saying like, hey, you have to sleep because you're going to fall apart if you don't. Hey, just because you haven't ex- achieved that yet or maybe ever doesn't mean crap about you. I saw some van walking, driving down Portland the other day. It said like, you know, do <laughs> what was it? It was like, hey, man, chill out and do what you want to, because the people who mind don't matter. And the people who matter don't mind. <laughs> and I was just like fist pumping. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was on my walk. I was wearing my big fat shoes and I was on my All walk. All of those words were written on a van. They were written on a van. Like it was <laughs> a pretty tacky van, bro. Pretty tacky. It's a lot of words. Well, guys, anything to anything to add? I'll, I'll just add one last thing. And it's just that I think, you know, as entrepreneurs, I think entrepreneurs are at special, like they, it's a special challenge to become, becoming a parent is terrifying and exciting and, and all these other things. But when you're an entrepreneur, you're making all the decisions in your business. So it's like this beautiful blessing because you get to have the lifestyle that we've talked about, but you also have the temptation to do some of the things like go right back to work the day after you have a baby. And um, if you're struggling with this, because I've talked to a lot of people who are, especially in, you know, like mm. motherhood groups, um, Barrett actually shared this article that I thought was awesome. Chase, I think you may have reposted it too. I know I did. And it, I absolutely recommend it. It's called Having It All Kind of Sucks by Amy Westervelt. And um, we can have that in the show notes too. But it's just yep. a story of a woman who, I think she runs her own business. She certainly seems entrepreneurial. And she talks about how- She's a writer. She's a journalist. Okay, so she's a journalist. She went right back to work literally the day after giving birth to a freaking human. And she just talks, if you don't like bad language, you might not like it. She's very real and very authentic about what she's going through. And it's just, it's the reality of uh, all the things we've been talking about that you can try to have it all, but it's at the, at the end of the day, it's probably not really what you want for your life. So hmm. if you're th- thinking about all these things, you'll probably enjoy that article. Uh, Corbett, anything to add? I think we pretty much covered it, and uh, I spoke a lot more than I thought I would, given that the topic today was uh, growing a family <laughs> while being an entrepreneur. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because you guys, you guys have have decided not to have any kids uh, at this time, and that's a that's a decision that you get to make, right? That's right. I think one. I mean, we could probably have a whole other episode on just on just that because just there's a lot of I've been I've been seeing a lot of articles about like, hey, how about this? How about it's never okay to ask if someone's going to have kids or not, especially when you're talking to ladies, Mm -hmm. like that being a thing. So all fizzle show listeners, don't do this thing where you're like, hey, so do you guys have kids? Oh, when are you thinking of doing it? Don't want to make that assumption about people because because frankly, there's enough people in the world as it is. True. You know what I mean? (laughs) Know what I mean? Okay, well, Barrett, anything else? Nothing. I have been Chase Warman Reeves. I've been Corbett Barr. I've been Barrett Brooks. I've been Steph Crowder. And we'll see you there. Or we'll see you on another time. No chance I was jumping in on that. No, definitely not. (laughs) That was a solo for sure. a curveball. So there you have it. All right. 
fizzleshow.co slash 160. That's where you're going to find all of the show notes for this episode. We mentioned a few articles and that Alan Watts daily account, among other things that are in there. You can find them all at fizzleshow.co slash 160. Here's an iTunes rating from uh, Mercy K 2011 who says, Remember the story of a nation that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years over a distance that should have only taken two years? Yeah, that's uh, how entrepreneurship felt. Lonely, going around in circles. If only I had a road map. Just as I was about to give up in despair and turn back, there was food, and it was familiar. Along came Fizzle. Now, business shows are a dime a dozen, but these guys are keeping it real. Actual, normal conversations, the kind you would have with a friend or a business partner. Sometimes I think they are reading my journal. Other times I shake my fist at the uh, headphones. All in all, I wish I had found them sooner. That is so cool. Thank you so much, Mercy K, for saying hi on iTunes. Listen, please, dear listener, our goal here is to help you make progress on your business every single week. We love making these episodes uh, for you. If you leave us an iTunes review, it kind of helps us get to, to more and more and more people. I would love for this show to grow. So if you search for Fizzle in the iTunes store and then click on Write a Review, I would love to hear your voice and, uh, and read out your review on the air. So please do so. Okay, that's all today. May our disappointments in ourselves and in others lead us to hope and to work for change instead of isolating ourselves from ourselves and the world. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks. Talk to you next, Fizzle.